You have a vision for what you want to create and accomplish, but what happens when you feel like you're reaching your breaking point and you feel like you're surrounded by so many barriers getting in the way? What are the anchors that keep you pushing forward through the difficulties that life brings you? Because motivation alone doesn't bring progress. So what else do we pair it with? That's what we'll cover in this episode, and today's guest will no doubt leave you inspired to keep pushing through even when you're faced with difficulty and discomfort. And I've got a special download for you in the show notes that can assist with his recommendations. Let's get to it. Whether you're determined to build your dream business, to become a better communicator, to create the leverage in your life, to connect with yourself, to become more purposeful, to master your schedule, to quit your job, to travel to Europe, no matter what the goal is that drives you, this is the show for you. This is a space where we can transparently talk about all the things you're determined to accomplish or improve in your life and bring you the tactical tips and strategies to help get you to that next level. My name is Jamie Milam and I am a multi-passionate entrepreneur and like you, I dream big. I rebuilt my life out of a single Rubbermaid storage tote when I became a mother and today I am living my life by designing it in alignment with my goals. Recently divorced and back to being a single mom and simultaneously running multiple businesses, I know that I can figure anything out when I am determined. With the right resources, determination, and motivation, I believe you can make your dreams and goals a reality. This is Determined AF. Welcome to another episode of Determined AF. Today you are in for a real treat and mindset checkup as I welcome motivational speaker and author Terry Tucker. Terry has an incredible backstory of reinventing himself time and time again, and you could say he's truly been following his multi-passions. In college, he played NCAA Division Basketball with the Citadel, then went on to have work experiences that are pretty cool that include a variety of things from working in the marketing department at Wendy's Corporate to becoming a police officer and a SWAT hostage negotiator. I mean, that's cool. Uh, He stepped into the entrepreneurial world by starting a school security consulting business and coached the high school girls basketball team. So welcome, Terry. Thank you so much for being here. Well, Jamie, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. Absolutely. I think we're, like I said, we're in for a real treat because why I really wanted to bring Terry in to chat with us is to share a little bit more about the lessons that he has gained from the biggest challenge in his life, which has been a 10 year long battle with cancer. And Terry, it's my understanding that you have an extremely rare form of cancer that you've been fighting time and time again over the years, and it's caused a lot of pain and discomfort. Would you mind describing that a little bit more for us real quick? Sure. So back in, I was a girls high school basketball coach in Texas, had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And I didn't think much of it initially because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he eventually sent it off to pathology And then two weeks later, I received a call from him. And as I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining to me what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. And so finally, he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. 
I have never seen the form of cancer that you have. You have a rare form of melanoma. And most people think of melanoma as too much exposure to the sun and it affects the melon, the, the pigment in our skin. But this has nothing to do with that. This is a rare form that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And because it was so rare, he recommended I go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas and be treated. And so I did. They did surgery to remove the tumor on the bottom of my foot. They removed all the lymph nodes in my groin. And unfortunately, at the time, melanoma was pretty much a death sentence. They did not have any types of drugs or therapies to, to combat it. So my doctor put me on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. The side effects of the interferon were that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. Mm -hmm. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. Mm -hmm. And as I said, that wasn't a cure. That was as my oncologist used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road and buy you some more time. After five years of the interferon, it became so toxic to my body that I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, which is usually not compatible with being alive, but somehow I survived that. So I had to stop the drug. And almost immediately, the cancer came back in the exact same spot on my foot. That necessitated the amputation of my foot in 2018. Cancer worked its way up my leg into my shin in 2019, two more surgeries. And then in the middle of the COVID pandemic, my entire lower leg, there was a tumor in it. It had fractured my tibia, my shin bone. And my only recourse, as I said, right in the middle of the COVID pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I am still being treated for. And I know that sounds like a really dark and ugly journey, and it certainly has been. But I'll tell you two things. Number one, I don't really think you know yourself until you've been tested by some form of adversity. And number two, I think cancer has made me a better human being. Mm, that's powerful. It sounds like you've had a lot of awareness and you're really living a life of impact and spreading a message here. And it stinks that it is still an ongoing battle, but you're right. The adversity, no matter what it is, can certainly be that thing that makes us a better person. Because I can't imagine the mindset battle that you and your family have had to face as well. And yet you've made it this practice to let this health battle not get the best of you. And instead, you've uncovered four truths that you stand by to keep you going. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure, absolutely. I, these four truths, I, I call them sort of the bedrock of my soul. They're just a good place to build a quality life off of. And I have them right here on my desk. They're, they're on a post-it note. The first one is you must control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that pain and difficulty to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. The third one I look at kind of as a legacy type of truth, and it's this, what you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And then the fourth one I think is pretty self-explanatory, as long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. 
Isn't that the dang truth, right? Yeah. I mean, all of those are amazing. Absolutely. They're great things to stand behind, amazing values to bring in. And when I even think about your truth number two, embracing the pain and difficulty that we experience and use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual, I immediately see that as all kinds of difficulty. And we do, we all have a version, like you said, no matter the adversity. And for me, it was being on my own at the age of 15, being a rape victim, overcoming drug addiction, and then being in survival mode as a single young mom. So it it may not be cancer, right? It may be childhood trauma. It may be divorce. It may be finances. It may be imposter syndrome for some people, right? The difficulty is a difficulty regardless, but we all have one of those discomfort spots, but yet your continued battle, like it does offer us some insight in terms of why it's so important to keep pushing through that and to continue to pursue whatever your passion or your mission and your purpose is and that impact that you want to make on the world around you. So what reflection insight would you offer in that regard? Yeah, I think our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. So to the brain, the status quo, the way things are right now, it's comfortable, it's familiar, and it should just be left alone. The problem with that is the only way we're going to grow, the only way we're going to develop, the only way we're going to improve is if we step outside those comfort zones and do things that make us uncomfortable. And I try to do this every day of my life, and I always recommend it to people when we talk about this topic, is to do one thing every day that makes you nervous, that scares you, that makes you uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. But if you do those small things every day, you'll be so much more resilient to handle the big disasters when they happen. And you, ex- you just explain some of them. You know, I mean, you can, you can lose your job. You can be a rape victim. You can get divorced. You can find out you have a chronic or a terminal illness. We all deal with those big things in life. But if you do the small things every day, when those big things happen, you'll be much more resilient to handle them when they come down the pike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you take us back for a second, Terry, to kind of the start of this journey? Because that's the aspect of mindset work that I want everybody to embrace is this isn't a matter of just having positive thinking. And it doesn't certainly happen overnight. Transitioning and reframing our mindset does not happen overnight. And so if you take us back to the beginning of this journey, were you always kind of a, you know, positive outlook person? And especially if not, how did you start to put that into practice as you began getting a lot of these like bad news? I'm sure after every bad test result and disappointing test result, you felt that burden, right? Pushing you closer and closer to a breaking point. You know, so maybe just share with us vulnerably what the beginning stages of that mental and emotional process was like, and maybe how this over how this evolved over time. Sure. I, I had experienced things I've had to overcome in my life. When when I was in high school, I had three knee surgeries. I had to fight through those to come back and play basketball and eventually get a scholarship to college. When I went to the Citadel, it's a military college. It, it's pretty difficult. So I I had experienced some difficult times in my life. But when I was diagnosed, I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief. 
you know, first it was denial. It's like, I can't possibly have cancer. I, I've done everything right in my life. I've eaten right. I, I, you know, I'm not overweight. I exercise, et cetera, et cetera. And then you, you get mad. I was upset. I, I have a faith life. And so, you know, I, I was kind of mad at God. It's like, are you kidding me? When I graduated from college, I, I moved home. I found that first job at Wendy's, but I spent three and a half years living with my mother and father, helping my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. And I was like, really? Now you're going to give this this to me? So there there was sort of that anger part of it. And then there was bargaining. Our daughter was in high school when I was diagnosed. So it was like, hey, just let me live long enough to see her graduate from high school. And then you get to a point where you kind of get down, but you feel a little sorry for yourself and stuff like that. But then I got to a point where it was like, okay, this sucks but I'm going to have to embrace the suck here. But I made it a conscious decision early on that I was never going to take out my misfortune on a doctor, on a nurse, on a therapist, on somebody that was trying to help me. And I've seen a lot of people do that. And I know why they do that. They're scared, they're anxious, they're nervous, and they lash out. But you know, these are people that are trying to help you. They're you know, trying to make it better or at least give you a better quality of life. So I made a decision early on, look, no matter how bad things get, I'm not going to take my misfortune out on somebody else who's trying to help me. Yeah. So as that has progressed, do you feel that has been the leading thing that has kept you persevering through the difficulties? I I think what's gotten me through this is, is kind of what I call my three F's, which are, which stands for faith, family, and friends, you know? I, it, it's funny, I've seen so many people in life sort of start down the road toward a goal. And they then they run up against an impediment, something gets in their way. And they can't get over it, around it, through it, whatever. And so they quit. But we're great here in the United States. We don't just quit. We got to blame somebody. We got to blame our parents, or we got to blame our station in life or our boss. And so when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? What do you mean, who do I blame? Like, well, you got to blame somebody because you got cancer. I don't blame anybody. And then when they find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you must blame God. And I sort of joke with them. I'm just like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, hey, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't believe that at all. But God certainly has given me the strength to get through all of this garbage. I mean, when I was on interferon for five years, I've always said there's a big difference between living and not dying. And I really felt I was kind of in that not dying phase. You know, I really wasn't living. I was just trying to make it. Sometimes, you know, winning the day meant getting out of bed and making it to the couch. That's how lousy I felt. And so I was like, look, okay, God, this isn't living. Just take me out of this. Just you go ahead and take my life and be done with it. But he didn't. But he did give me the strength to go on. And when I had my leg amputated and I found out these tumors in my lungs, about eight months later, my doctor showed me my CAT scan. And I had fluid all around the pleural spaces on the outside of my lungs. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how was I alive? And he kind of smiled and sort of shook his head. And he's like, I I have no idea because you shouldn't have been, Mm -hmm. which said to me that God's not done with me yet. You know, and and when I die, why I die, how I die, way above my pay grade. So I don't spend a lot of time worrying about dying. I spend more time dealing with the living. So that's the faith part of it. The family part of it, it's just my daughter and I, and, and my wife and I, the three of us. And so when I had my leg amputated, my doctor wanted to start me on chemotherapy. And I looked at him and I said, is it, is it going to save my life? 
And he was like, no, but it'll probably buy you some more time. I was eight years into this fight. And I thought, well, if the outcome's going to be the same, I'm not sure I really want to take chemo and go through all that ugliness if I'm going to die anyway. Maybe I'll just, you know, not do that. I said, but I'll go home and I'll talk to my family. And, and it's kind of a funny story, but it really happened this way. So I, I go home and I start telling my, my daughter and my wife about it. And my daughter's immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that, you know? So, so we end up sitting around the kitchen table and individually talking about how we feel about me taking chemotherapy. And when we're done with that, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? But I remembered when I was in the police academy and our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I love my family more than I love myself. And in hindsight, that was it was a bridge that got me to the drug that I'm on now. And then finally, friends. I really think when you have chronic or a terminal illness, you really find out who your friends are. You really find out who's going to be in your corner. There were people that I thought, absolutely, these people are going to be with me that, could, that said, you know what, Terry, I can't deal with that. And then there were people who were, you know, sort of on the fringe of being friends that have never left my side. So I think you really find out who's going to be in the foxhole with you, so to speak, when you have some kind of a disease like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, these are good. These are good. Because when it comes down to motivation, motivators, really, when it comes down to motivators, and you mentioned that you fight harder for family it's true when family is involved or somebody else is involved, you'll fight harder than when it's just for yourself. And I think that you guys coming together to communicate, you know, communicating brings uh, awareness and awareness brings communication. And you had that wherewithal to come back and say, I need to talk to my family because I, I am a huge advocate for mindset work when it comes to reflection and self-awareness period, because we do know that positive mindset doesn't just wave a magical wand and take away this pain, this discomfort, or even the difficulty that's going to be at hand for everybody. And so you do, you have to explore, you have to communicate what everybody's needs are and what do they really want? Of course, they want more Terry in their life for longer. It makes sense, right? And so for you and for the rest of anybody dealing with the difficulty, it's about reframing your thoughts into a new perspective, right? Not ignoring the difficulty, but reframing it. And so you can often use that as a motivator uh, to fuel you and your mission, because the more that we persevere and the more that we prove to ourselves that we can overcome, then the more confident we become. And then the domino effect just continues. So, you know, kind of expanding on that, I know that you stand kind of on a pillar that motivation alone won't cause progress. Can you tell us what tactical tips and tools you found that work alongside maybe these three Fs, but also work alongside the motivation to help move the dial? Yeah, that's a great question. And motivation, I, I, I kind of describe it as sort of lighting the fuse. But if I look at wanting to be successful or, or wanting to make changes or, or have goals or whatever you want in your life. 
needs really three things. It needs the motivation, it needs the discipline, and it needs the good habits. And if you don't have any one of those three, it's going to be incredibly difficult to be successful in life. So if you're not motivated, but you have great habits and you're disciplined, well, then you're probably not going to get there. But if you're motivated and have great habits, but your discipline is that you never implement those habits, again, probably not going to be able to get there. You know, if you're motivated and have discipline, but your habits are terrible, then you're still probably not going to get there. So you need all three of those things, I believe, at least that's been my experience in life to be successful, to, to figure out where you're going and to get there. Because one, you know, just having motivation and motivation is a word that we we kick around all the time. And, you know, I, I've, titled, I've titled my blog Motivational Check, and I'm almost getting to the point where I'm kind of sick of motivation. It's important, but it's not everything. And, and like I say, if you have motivation coupled with your discipline and good habits, there's almost nothing that you can't accomplish in life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm curious then, are there any steps that you have taken to create a system for consistency that encompasses these three things that continues for you to have like the self-check? you know, something that allows you to be consistent with the motivation, the self-discipline, the good habits? I, I think a, a couple things. I mean, I, I never take any, anything for granted. I ne- every day for me is like a, a day one, week one mentality. We start over every, I start over every single day, you know, where, okay, I don't know what today's going to bring. So I, I think starting every day with the understanding, this is day one, week one, you got to prove yourself all over again. You got to get out there and hit it again, because the only person you're in competition with, and you've probably heard this before, the only person you're in competition with is yourself. When I was a basketball player, yes, we played against other teams, but really we looked at it as, am I better today than I was yesterday? And when I went to practice yesterday, did I make my teammates better as well? And that's a big part of it. We don't become successful in a vacuum. I don't, I don't care how, you know, self-made millionaires, self-made entrepreneurs, all that. Kind of, there's no such thing as that. There's always somebody, whether it was mom or dad, whether it was a mentor, whether there was somebody or many somebodies who got that person to the top of the mountain, so to speak. And I think a lot of people are afraid of failure. And I like failure because failure to me is I tried something and I failed at it. But Nelson Mandela, the former president of South Africa, used to say, I never lose. I either learn or I win. So if you try things, and I always say this, especially to young people, if there's something in your heart, something in your soul that you believe you're supposed to do, but it scares you, go ahead and do it. Because at the end of your life, the things you're going to regret are not going to be the things you did They're going to be the things you didn't do. And by then it's going to be too late to go back and do them. So I guess, you know, play the long game, for lack of a better term. Every day you're starting over. Every day you've got to prove yourself. Every day you've got to get better. And if you do that, I think you're well on the way to being successful in however you define that word. Yeah, I want want to point out too, just for the listeners, going back to something that you'd said earlier, because when I think about creating a system for consistency and you're saying, Every day is a new day all over again. It's day one, you know, week one. You mentioned that you have these four truths on the sticky note on your desk. And for a lot of people, I don't know that they realize the importance of that visualization. 
it's a reminder. It's the North Star. It's the guiding point back to your values, your mission, how to hold up things, to do a check-in, to say, am I living by the design that I intend to live by? Am I lining up the next thing? And is it in alignment with this, right? With these four truths. And I'm really curious to ask, what is your mission now, Terry? What really has you motivated? Yeah, I, you know, my, my mission now was not my vision when I was a, a kid. You know, I, I look at sort of my purpose or my why has changed throughout my life. And it would be great if our mission, our purpose, our why lined up with our job or our occupation. But it doesn't have to. You know, you, your job could be over here. It's what you do to pay the bills. But your purpose or your passion in life is to write, to be a podcast host, to be an activist, whatever it is that you feel it's supposed to do. So I think my when I was young, I literally ate, drank, and slept basketball. It was my entire life. And it got me to college. And then after that, it was, for me, law enforcement. I always wanted to be in law enforcement, eventually got to the point where I was able to do that. And now, as I'm, in all honesty, probably coming towards the end of my life, my mission, my purpose is to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I possibly can. It's not about being famous. It's not about making money. It's not about doing any of that. It's I've learned some things going through this journey. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I certainly don't. And I certainly have bad days. But here are the things that I've learned. And I just want to give them to people. And I always tell them, if all of these things work, then by all means, take them and incorporate them into your life. If one or two of them work, then take those and develop your own truths, develop, you know, whatever your own goals, your values. And you hit on a great word a minute ago, which was values. And, and I think it's real important. And I think where people fall down a lot is, you know, they make New Year's resolutions, they make goals, but those goals or resolutions are not tied to their values. They don't know what their values are. What are you willing to die for? You know, what are you willing to give your life for with the understanding that you may never be successful at that, but it's such, it's such a passion for you that you're willing to give your life that. For me, it's family, it's character, it's, it's things like that. Those are my values. And, and they're, they're an anchor, I guess, for lack of a better word, that you can connect your goals to, and they're not going to move. I mean, they are who you are. And if you can connect your resolutions or your goals to your values, you have a much greater opportunity to actually succeed at those. Absolutely. Having the alignment with what is genuinely yours, what you genuinely have a passion for, whether that's a desire to impact, a desire to create, a desire to serve in any shape or form, right? Whatever that is for you, which again, takes awareness and reflection to to recognize, to identify it, and to live by it, to research it, to test it, to challenge it, to discuss it, to explore it even more. You have to be able to reflect in on that kind of as a step one, take some time with yourself. That way you can continue to realign and we don't get distracted, or excuse me, I should say, we get distracted a lot less as entrepreneurs when those goals and the action plan is aligned with those values and with who we are at our genuine hearts, right? Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, we spend our lives 
consuming. Get out of high school or college or the military or whatever you do. And then, you know, you kind of get into the world and you start to try to make yourself, you know, you need a job, you need money, you need a place to live, you need a car, all those kind of things. And it's almost like we're born empty and we need to consume. We need to get that job. We need to get money. And we, we consume. And I guess the way I'm starting to look at life is, is almost the opposite of that. What if we're not born empty? What if we're born full and our job is to empty ourselves out for the betterment of ourselves, our family, our business, you know, our creator, whatever you believe, you know, whatever you believe that is. But instead of we got to consume. And, and I mean, you know, advertising is great. I'm telling us if you have this car or, you know, you eat this steak or you buy this candy bar, then you are fulfilled. You, you know, you have something. But that's that's consumerism. That's we're consuming things. What I'm saying is just the opposite. What if we don't really need to consume anything? We just need to pour ourselves out for the betterment of this world. Yeah. And I think to kind of this conversation around the difficulty and the breaking point, right? It's, you know, we have difficulties in life that have nothing to do with consumption and consumerism. So when we layer that on because we're just consuming so much, you know, it just adds to the to the layers in, of difficulty and it makes it so compounded, which that of course makes us, it makes our mental health go down. Then we reach that breaking point or that near breaking point even easier when we consume all of this media and information. And so I think that's an important piece because if we are realigned with our values, what's most important to us, what our mission is, how we want to show up and impact the people around us, the legacy that we want to leave, right? When we have that at the forefront of our mind, it starts to reduce the need for those other things. And we reduce that stacked component of the difficulties and the breaking points because the real difficulties are the ones that are completely out of our control. And so why do we... <laughs> bring it on to ourselves by consuming in the media and consuming with the comparison and having unnecessary materialistic things that causes financial issues. Like those things are in our control. And so I think that that's a really important aspect, you know, so let me kind of close with this for anyone who is struggling with their own version of difficulty, right? But they are determined to pursue their passion what would you say is the most impactful thing that they could implement today? You've got to control your mind. We all we all talk to ourselves, whether we like to admit it or not. You know, we all have that that self talk that that we go through, and it's incredibly important to be careful with that self talk. I'll give you an example. I you know played basketball all the way up until college. If I took a basketball, went out on the court, and I practiced shooting free throws there would be a certain part of my brain that would light up. If I thought about taking that basketball, going out onto that court and practicing shooting free throws, that exact same part of my brain is going to light up. So if you're one of those people that's like, you know, yeah, I'm going to start a business, but mm, you know, I'm not smart enough or the business is going to, if you say those things over and over and over, you are hardwiring your brain to the point where, yeah, you're not going to be successful at that. You need to be incredibly careful how you talk to yourself and it needs to be positive with the understanding that we're human beings. 
you know, we're going to have negative thoughts that are going to come into our, our mind and things like that. That's okay. Don't get, you know, all excited where, you know, one day you see the glass is half empty instead of half full. That's okay. So when people ask me about that, I always tell them like, there's three types of people that I think we we look at when it comes to controlling our mind. The first part are, you know, go ahead and tell me I can't do that. Go ahead and tell me I'm a failure. Go ahead and tell me I suck. Go ahead and tell me all that stuff because those people use that as energy or fuel to get better. They don't need positive reinforcement. They use the negative reinforcement to get them to where they need to be. Then there are, and I think I fall into this group, where I need to change the negative narrative into something positive. When I had my knee surgeries and went back playing basketball, I remember my brain was putting all kinds of negative thoughts into my mind. You know, things like, you're, you're probably a step slower since your surgeries and college coaches aren't going to be interested in recruiting you. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm still playing at an elite level and coaches are still reaching out about the possibility of playing for their college or university. I learned I had to change that narrative. I had to put something positive in. And then there's the third group who, they don't like being that close to it. They don't like using the I word. They, you know, they're like, they want to get some distance from it. So they're still trying to give, give a positive narrative, but it's like a they or them or our kind of thing. It's not an I or me thing. And that's okay too. You're still getting to the same thing. So depending on which type of person you are, control the thoughts in your mind because we all become what we think. Absolutely. Our thoughts become things, change your thinking, change your world. And these happen in little things. Again, it doesn't mean that the pain is less. It doesn't mean that the difficulty is less. It's the way that you're reframing it so that you can look at just slightly a different perspective. I mean, this can be as simple as yesterday. I was in the middle of making our morning smoothies and my blender broke in the middle of the smoothie making. And mind you, it was on its last leg anyways, but I refused to buy one. And so I'm frustrated. Yes. You know, now I have this mess and all the things. And I just said, well, at least I stuck it out until I was forced to buy a new blender and we have other breakfast foods. Oh, well, you know, it's just, a, and it happened literally on a dime. And this didn't happen like this, you know, four years ago, this took a lot of practice and it still takes a lot of practice. And I catch myself often and I reframe into gratitude when I get down that spiral because I am the person in category number two. If I don't reframe it, then next thing you know, like what you're focusing on expands and then all this other negative stuff just keeps coming in. That's how it works for me. And so I like to operate at a different energy level. And, and I, I agree, no matter what the difficulty is, in order to stay in alignment with pursuing your purpose, you do you have to control those thoughts and reframe it. And if you do that, little by little, it all starts to become a little bit easier. And that's the goal here. So I, this has been a great conversation. Terry, tell us how listeners can find more of you. Sure. So I have a blog called Motivational Check. You can reach me there. You can reach out to me. I've written a book called Sustainable Excellence. You can get that anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks. You can also get it. There's a link to it on my site. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming in today. This has been good. And we're thinking of you through your journey. And I appreciate you sharing your insights and really just the pieces that can really affect anybody, no matter where their difficulty is. Well, so, thanks for having me on, Jimmy. I really enjoyed talking with you. 
Well, it really has been my pleasure, Terry. For those listening, I have just the tool for you to help you start getting into the habit of mastering your mindset. Since it was such a key point of our conversation today, I thought you may enjoy having your very own gratitude growth journal. This is a 28-day journal complete with weekly affirmations and daily journal prompts so you can practice reframing your thoughts and reflecting on your motivators and the joys in your life. And you can find that free download down in the show notes. So until next week, go live that life you desire.